in, in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee and two, other, two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. Remember Peter, before he was, before he was Peter, he was Simon. And before, before he was following Jesus, he was a fisherman. And that's just what he did. And they said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. I just don't, I don't know about you, but fishing's not fun enough to go fishing for nothing. So just imagine what they're dealing with. They've worked all night. They're not just casting rods, they're throwing nets. They're casting these nets out. It's hard work. It's not easy. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? And they answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat. So here they are, casting the net on the left side of the boat. All night long, I guess, and then getting nothing. Jesus comes along, this voice from the shore, throw the net to the right side. Now, I don't know what might have gone through their mind. I don't know what they might have thought. Who is this guy? What's he thinking? Why, why would there be fish over here if there's not fish over here? I, I don't really know, but they do this. And he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. The disciples whom Jesus, the, 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 that disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. I mean, he, he immediately knew. He knew it was Jesus. And when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for the work, and threw himself into the sea. The other disciple came in the boat, the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got out of the, on the land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid on it and bread. Now here they've got this load of fish. This guy's not been out on the boat. He's not been on the boat. He's not been in the sea. But here are these fish, and here's this bread waiting for them. And Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled, <coughs> hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. I heard, I heard this guy, this one preacher, I think it was John MacArthur, actually. He doesn't tell a lot of jokes, but, but he told this one joke in, in, as he preached on this passage. He said, you know how Jesus makes breakfast? Breakfast. You know how he got the fire? Fire. That's so cool, you know, because there it was. These guys just show up and there's this, there's this breakfast. Where did it come from? Well, I don't know. Breakfast. Anyway, I really enjoyed that. I hope you did too. <laughs> So Jesus came, took the bread, and gave it to them, and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. So here, Jesus is revealing himself to his disciples again. And here he is doing this work. And, and honestly, if, if you haven't thought about it, if you haven't thought, well, why would John just automatically think he's the Lord? Let me help you. See, this moment, this exact moment identifies or, or, or parallels exactly the way that they were called to follow him originally. You see, a lot of people give Peter a hard time. They, they think, oh, Peter, man, he just couldn't wait for Jesus. He went to Galilee and he got, a, he got bored and he got tired of waiting and he just went fishing. I, I, maybe that's true at some level. 
But you see, Jesus knew all along that this was going to happen. I think this was all part of His sovereign plan. It's too coincidental. It's, it, 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 it bears too closely to this, to this beginning point in their lives with Jesus as He's about to do this amazing work in Peter's life. It, it's too coincidental that, that this was just some accident or some reaction to Peter. Oh, I'm tired of waiting. I'm going fishing. You see, Jesus knew all along I think that this was going to happen. And so to get upset with Peter and say, man, you should have waited longer. They never were told not to go fishing. Jesus told the women when he appeared to them, tell my brothers to go and and go to Galilee and they will see me there. Never did he say, tell them to go sit in a house on their butts and do nothing. He never said, hey, I don't want them fishing. He said, go to Galilee and they're going to see me there. He didn't give them specifics. So to, to, to assume because Peter has made some other mistakes, that Peter is again making a mistake, I I think it does something with the text that the text doesn't show us. I think what we can really see in this text is that Jesus Christ knew His people and He knew that they were going to be there. And He knew that in this moment, He could reveal Himself in a most powerful and an amazing way. Let's just look at the parallels. You don't need to to turn to this. Just listen to me read it. It's Luke chapter 5. verse 1 through 11. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Genesaret. Sorry. Lake Genesaret was also Lake Tiberias, also called the Sea of Galilee. It had several different names. It's the exact same location. Were they in the same place, on the same part of the water? I I don't know. But it's the same vicinity. They're, they're, They're at the Sea of Galilee. And he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. So here these guys had come in from a night of fishing. Think about it. These guys went out. They went fishing. They're fishing overnight. Jesus sees them in the morning, says, throw your nets out to the right side. Here they are. They've been out for a night of fishing. They're washing their nets. And he's getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's. Oh, wait a minute. He's in our story. He asked him to put out from the land. And he sat down and taught people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. I mean, just imagine here they are, it's about three years later. Three years later, John is sitting in this boat and he hears this man say, cast your net on the right side. They cast the net on the right side and suddenly they got more fish than they know what to do with. It's the Lord. Why does he know that? Because he's experienced it with him. He's seen Jesus work in this amazing way already. In fact, the result of this, the result of that moment three years earlier, was them laying down their nets and following Jesus and walking behind Him, learning from Him and seeing His examples taught and, and, and seeing His power and understanding that He was the Messiah, that He had come to save them. That's, what it, that's where it began for them. And here they are some three years later. Jesus has died on the cross. They've experienced Him in a resurrected body. They've seen Him. And here they are, again, casting nets and catching this miraculous number of fish that so much that they just can't, barely can take care of it. The nets aren't breaking. They're blown away. They understand immediately, this is a miracle. It's Jesus. 
You see, I think that Jesus was using this to begin the process of bringing Peter into restoration. Remember what I've called you to. Remember the work that I've called you to. He said in the beginning of that time, follow me. You know where our passage is going to end today? Him calling Peter, follow me. You see, as, and I don't think that Peter's the only one that got anything out of this. I mean, other disciples were there and they saw this work of power. I mean, there's things that, that, that we can all get out of it. This miraculous catch, while I think it was specifically given to Peter and, and, and for Peter's restoration and for this work that Jesus was doing, these other men could have, could have gained great knowledge and, and great benefit from this. I mean, if you think about it, there's principles that all of us can take. We can work our butts off. We can work our butts off. And I think we should work our butts off. But who brings the results? Jesus. When, does, when, when, when do the results come? When He's ready. Let's think about this. Some of you have been in this work for, oh, I don't know, we're going on two and a half, well, almost, we're, we're going on three years, I think. Is that right? Going on three three years. And we hear stories from places, you know, 700 people. We've been together for a year and we got 700 people. We hear stories about all of these baptisms. And, and I'll, I'll just be honest. I mean, I hear them all the time because of this pastor's network I'm a part of. Everybody's throwing these numbers and, and they're all about all of this success that they're seeing. And some days, man, it seems like we're just out here toiling and toiling and toiling. But what were we called to? To toil. To work. To continue pushing forward, being ready in season and out of season. Well, what about success in my own life? What? Well, why, why am I not growing at the rate I want to? Why am I not seeing Jesus do some miraculous things like this? Hey, do you know Jesus? Do you, do you know who He is? Has He revealed Himself to you? Maybe, maybe He didn't come and, and show you a bunch of fish. But if you think about what Scripture says about who we are without Christ, how we think without Christ, what we can see and hear without Christ... And we are dirty, nasty, separated, condemned, just, just horrible individuals without Christ that have no spiritual recognition or ability on our own. And if we see Jesus and can recognize Jesus, that is a miracle. He has shown Himself to you. And that, maybe you didn't see fish, but you saw Jesus. Do you need to see fish? To trust in Jesus? He's remember Thomas. I need to see his hands. I need to see the hole in his side. I need to see his feet before I'm going to believe. If you see Jesus, if you recognize Jesus, it's because of his miraculous work in your life. If you are learning more and more and more about Jesus, it's because of his miraculous work in your life. Enjoy the miracle. And you think about this church. 
I, I know of stories of people who are growing. I, I know of stories that maybe you don't know. People's lives are being changed. They are being challenged to love Jesus. And we don't have headaches that 700 people bring. You know, you are being grown. We are being prepared. Who knows what tomorrow holds? Well, we're not going to have a building in a couple months. We'll have something. The success that, that people expect and, and the things that they look for will come when Jesus is ready for them to come. These disciples, they were going to go and work their tails off. They were going to be sent into harsh and horrible environments. Most of them would die because of their faith and because of the work that they were going to do. And the success was going to come when Jesus was ready to give it to them. I think we're successful. I don't want you to hear me saying that I don't think we're successful. <laughs> I think that success is here. I think we need to look at it from his perspective. Jesus is the one providing and equipping. It is so easy. It is so easy for us to stand in our own power and, and, and think that we're doing things on our own. Peter went fishing and he was wore out because he, I mean, he got naked. He stripped. He's in the boat naked, casting fish, working his tail off, depending on his own power. Those disciples in that boat, depending on their own power, working their butt off. Who provided? They get to the shore. It's time for breakfast. They're probably wore out and hungry. Who provided? Jesus Christ. Where'd those fish come from? Breakfast. Fire. Bread. He provided it. It's so easy for us to wake up in the morning and think that we're going into this world on our own, in our own power, doing it all by ourselves. But the reality is that Jesus is the one that provides. He's the one that equips. He's the one that makes us ready. And if we have anything of value or worth, it's because He's allowed us to have it. You see, He provides. He equips. He makes His people ready for the service that they have and the work that they have to do. And the work that He had for them, that work that, that He had for them, you know, for, for four of them at least, they, they were fishermen beforehand. It may have looked like fishing, but it wasn't focused on the fish. It was focused on the people who caught the fish. It was focused on the people who mended the nets. It's focused on the people who fix airplanes, buy coffee, buy insurance, work in the office with us, get their hair cut. You see, we're casting nets. We're called to this work to toil and cast nets, but the work is not the fishing. The work is the focus of the people that are meant to be caught. You see, their focus, they were no longer called to be fishers or fishermen. They were called to be fishers of men. They were sent to do this work that, that, that changed their focus off of the act of work became the focus to the people that are doing the work. No longer were they out to just catch fish, but to catch men. And I, I think that's something that every disciple there, there could have gained from this. And every disciple that, that was there and experienced this miracle, I think they could have seen it. But, but as I said before, I think that to, to stop there, I, I don't think that does the text justice. I think that, that this is shared with us because it's a, it's a process that Jesus is specifically bringing Peter through. He's specifically working in Peter's life. 
as he restores him to the place that he was intended to be. Pick it back up in verse 15. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. And he said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. Imagine that. Knowing how you're going to die. And really the death that Jesus is referring to is crucifixion. And, and tradition tells us that Peter was crucified for his faith. He was, he, he was ashamed to be crucified in the same way as his Lord. And so he, the tradition says that he was hung upside down. Hung from his feet on a cross. I mean, I, I don't know. That doesn't sound good to me at all. I don't think that's someplace I would want to go. And he knew it was coming. I mean, what, what, what does he have left to lose at that point? I mean, really. This is what's going to happen. This is where you're headed. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. Do you love me? Tend to my sheep. And Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. The one who had been reclining at a table close to him and said, Lord, who is that? Who is it that is going to... When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is, it, what is that to you? You follow me. So the saying spread abroad among the brothers that this disciple was not to die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die. But if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? I want you to think about this with me because here Peter is. Here Peter is sitting around this breakfast, sitting around this fire, enjoying breakfast, loving the fact that he's with Jesus. Now imagine, here we have, G we have Peter in the boat. He hears that it's the Lord. He puts on his clothes and he starts swimming. I mean, it's obvious that at some level, Peter has a, an intense devotion to Jesus. He forgets all about his buddies in the boat. Forgets all about them. Throws on his clothes, jumps into water, swims a hundred yards to shore so that he can see Jesus. He quits caring about them altogether. Here he gets to the shore. Here, and, and it's funny because it doesn't talk about a lot of time between the time that Peter showed up and the boat showed up. So it, it seems like he did an awful lot of work. If he had just rode in the boat, maybe it would have been better. But he gets to the shore, and, 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 and you can see that, that Peter has a desire to be with Jesus. He wants to be close to him. Here they enjoy this breakfast. Breakfast. They enjoy that breakfast. They enjoy the, the time with Jesus. And Jesus looks at Peter in the middle of it. He says, Peter, do you love me? Now see, we're, we're missing something in the text here because when we read the word love, 
we, we use the word love for all kind of things. I love you. Well, I love you too. Well, I love you. I, I love you too. And we got these little, the, 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 well, I love her when really it's lust. I really, I really love her when it's really a, a sexual or erotic attraction. And then there's this love that, that happens between friends and family. You know, this familial connection, this, this emotional connection. The Greek, it, it, it differentiates between all of that. In fact, as, as Jesus is saying, do you love me? He's using this word agapeo. Do you love me? It, do, you, do you have this supreme love for me that I have for you? You see, what it is, is that he's asking, do you have a love for me that is so real that it's not built first on your emotion, that it's built on a choice to act? Do you have a love for me that is so intense and so deep and so real that you will really walk away from your life? Peter, I think Peter learned his lesson. I think Peter had, had come to this place where he knew that his mouth had gotten him in trouble too many times. And he says, well, Jesus... I really, I really feel good about you. I really like you. See, he used the word phileo, which in the Greek is a brotherly affection or a brotherly love or a, a familial type connection, an, an emotional relationship, a, 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 a togetherness or a, a, a feeling towards one another that, that happens between um, people who are close, who share time together, who, who share relationship together, but it's built more on emotion. He says, I feel really good about you. That's not what Jesus asked. And Jesus says to him, Peter, do you agape me? I feel really good about you, Peter. And this is where it got Peter. He says, Peter, do you feel really good about me? And Peter is grieved. Because now he's not being just challenged on this supreme, godly type love. He's being challenged on a love that he's even saying he has for Jesus. Do you really have this love for me? And a lot of people ask, you know, how in the world is this Jesus restoring Peter? How, how can this even be seen as that? Well, look at the, look at the parallels. Look at what happens in this, in this passage. Jesus and Peter sitting in a charcoal fire. There's one other place that a fire like this is ever mentioned in Scripture. You know where it was? The night that Peter denied Jesus. Only other place in all of the New Testament that this type of fire is ever mentioned. A charcoal fire. Peter, standing at that charcoal fire the first time, do you know Jesus? No, I don't know Jesus. I think you were with Jesus in the garden. No, I wasn't with him. No, really, I'm sure I saw you in the garden beep, 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 cussing and, and swearing and all of a sudden doing everything he can to prove the point that he doesn't know Jesus standing at a charcoal fire, sitting on a beach around a charcoal fire. Peter, do you love me? I like you. Peter, do you love me? I really feel strongly about you. Peter, do you really feel strongly about me? Jesus, you know that I do. Three times, Peter denies Jesus Christ. Three times, his devotion, his affections are challenged. Three times. <laughs> and truly, truly, I say to you, 
See, Peter, he's standing there around that charcoal fire, and he's thinking, as, as, as the words come out, he's thinking about the night before when he had said to, to Jesus, Jesus, I'll lay my life down for you. And Jesus says to him, truly, truly, I say to you, before the rooster crows, you will deny me. Immediately that comes to Peter's mind. He runs out of that house and he cries and he's, he's weeping and he's, he's sorrowful and he's, he's feeling terrible about himself. And here Jesus says, after his third confession, truly, truly, I say to you. You see, one thing right after another begins to demonstrate that this is a parallel moment where, where Peter was falling. Jesus begins to restore. I mean, if you want to think about it, you want to think about what brought Peter to that point where he stood around that first charcoal fire and denied Christ. Think about what brought him there. In Matthew chapter 16, Jesus is telling Peter and the other disciples about the work that he's come to do. And Peter says, no, Jesus, you can't do that. You can't go to the cross. You can't be that guy. You need to be here. You need to do this. You see, Peter's focus and, and his attitude is about doing things his own way in his own power, being, being thinking that he's got the answers. He's relying on himself. Oh, well, didn't he get better? Well, I don't know, because in the upper room, you know, after Jesus comes in and, and is, is teaching them and he's beginning to wash their feet and going to call them to serve this, the way that he served them, he, he kneels to, to wash Peter's feet. And Peter says, no, no, no. You can't wash me. You, you can't do this. Peter still, depending on himself. Peter still, depending on himself, just a few verses later when Jesus is saying, I'm going where you can't go. But Jesus, I follow you anywhere. I'll go wherever you go. I'll lay my life down for you. Truly, truly, I say to you, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter lived his life, lived his life depending on himself, trusting in his own power, looking for his own, own, own choices and, and trying to do things his own way, had not trusted Jesus to, to truly follow him. Had he given up his nets? Sure. Had, 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 had his life changed? Absolutely. Did he belong to the Lord? Most definitely. But his faith was weak. His faith was one of his own that, that was focused more on his own power and in his own way. And Jesus comes over here to him and says, wait, now remember who you were. Remember what you did. Now think about what I've just done. I've just shown you that I'm going to provide for you. I've just shown you that the plan is going to work out in my way and in my time. You can work your butt off. You need to work your butt off, but it's going to happen when I say it's going to happen. This is my plan that I'm working and you're to follow me. That's what the whole point of the whole thing is. It's to take Peter to a place where he's no longer looking at himself and depending on his own power and thinking he's got all the answers to a place where he trusts in Christ. Where he is following him. You see, we can't follow Jesus if we want to go our own way. We can't follow Him when we want to walk in a direction that doesn't go the same path as His. We, the, the, the cost of discipleship is dying to ourself and forsaking ourselves so that we can follow Him. Because the natural tendency that we have is to do our own thing, to be our own people, to trust in ourselves. He says, you're to follow Me. 
And suddenly Peter is confronted with the fact that, that he isn't the person he thought he was. He isn't all that, that, that he, he thought he was. He, he, he can't say, I agape you. He has to say, I, I feel really good about you. Because he recognizes all of a sudden his own weakness. He, he recognizes all of a sudden that he needs Jesus to be this man. He recognizes all of a sudden that apart from Christ, he's fallen and broken. Do you love me? I like you a lot. Do you love me? I feel really good about you. Do you really feel that good about me, Peter? Jesus, you know me. Search my heart. You, you know everything. You know I have these strong emotions. And all the while, you know how Jesus was responding? He's calling him to action. Feed my sheep. Tend to my sheep. Take care of these dear lambs that I have. You see, because this, this, this beautiful emotion that Peter is testifying to and confessing to, it means nothing. It's empty if he won't take a step on it and act. Because that brings that emotion, that phileo love, that action, it brings it to agape. Recognizing that not because of emotion, recognizing that not because I, I, I'm trying to earn anything for myself, but because I want the best for these people. I'm going to act in their best interest because I love Jesus. You see, that, that, that's what it's all about. That, 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 that's what the restoration happens. That, that's where it all begins to be restoration. Jesus is working in Peter's life. He's redeeming him. He's reconciling him. He's revealing more of himself to him. And he's beginning to restore him to the point that he's no longer just this guy that's set off by himself. But he's a guy with purpose and mission. He's a guy that's going to be used by God to, to, to bring in the kingdom. He's, he's a guy that's going to be used by God to, to, to take care of the people of the kingdom. You see, Peter wasn't just saved and meant to be set aside as some, some pawn or, or, or some, some non-essential person. He was saved to lead. And if God hadn't restored him, he would never have been able to do it. If God hadn't brought him to that place that, that, that he recognized his own brokenness, he never would have been able to stand him up and say, go and lead. And the truth is, is that's true for most of us as well. There's particular applications in this passage for leaders. I mean, the reality is, is that Peter becomes an example for everyone in the church who leads. But there's, been, or there's principles that apply to all of us. Every person sitting in this room, even if you're not a leader in the church, but, to, but that you're a servant in some way, every, every one of us, there's principles that apply here. The more we know about Jesus, the more we, we know Him, the more we understand Him and the ways that He works, the more we're going to love Jesus. Peter began to, to recognize Jesus. He, he began to see Him. He began to learn more about Him. Jesus continued to reveal Himself to His people. And you know what the result was? 
a deeper love for Jesus. We live in a culture, and, and, and churches all over Springfield today are going to be talking about and, and trying to, to come with, with light lessons and, and try to meet people. Oh, well, you know, you just feel good about one another. And they're going, to, they're going to pull back from understanding the depth of Scripture and understanding what God is doing and what God has revealed about Himself. And they're going to pull back from that because people don't want theology. But the reality is, is that we need theology so that we can truly love Jesus. We need a deep understanding of these words and a deep understanding of, of His revelation to us to truly love Him. Because apart from understanding Him, we're going to continue trying to go our own way. We're going to continue to try and do our own thing. We need to know Jesus. And the natural result will be that we will love Jesus more. And you know what love Jesus, loving Jesus really works itself out in? Loving Jesus results in Serving His people. Do you love Jesus? Do you agape Jesus? How do you see it in your life? Because agape comes with deep evidence. Do you agape Jesus? I feel really good about Him. Yeah, I feel good too. Do you agape Jesus? You see, a love for Jesus, a real love for Jesus, will work itself out in the service of His people. What's the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. You know know why the second is like it? Because you can't love God without loving His people. We can say we love God all day long. We can sit and pray, oh God, I love you. If you're not doing something, serving His people, connecting with His people, living life with His people, I might challenge you that you feel good about Him, but that you don't agape Him. Do you agape Jesus? And our call is no longer first to our careers and our worldly goals. It's, it's, it's not first and foremost to make sure that we have a retirement fund waiting for us, but instead to follow Jesus. Jesus said to Peter, follow me. And when Peter gets distracted, when Peter gets distracted and he sees John walking, he says, well, what about this guy? Jesus says, oh, what does it matter? What if, what if I let him just live forever? What does that matter to you? You follow me. Too often we're caught up and distracted about everything that's going on around us and using these things as excuses. Well, what about this, Lord? What about this, Lord? What about this, Lord? Follow him. But I want to be a millionaire by the time I'm 35. I'm, I'm past that point. It's not going to happen for me. So that I can be retired and then I'll follow Jesus. But, but, but wait, wait a minute. I, I really have these, I have these plans laid out. I, I went to school for, for these things and, and, and I got this degree for, the, for this stuff. And you know what? You may never use it. Or you might use it, but not first and foremost to be whatever it is that you want to be, but to be that person that's casting the net in that sea. You see, our, our, our lives are no longer about those 
about those things primarily that we interest ourselves in. They're to be about Jesus and following Him. Peter got distracted. Will get distracted. But He is always to be our focal point. And when we fail, when we get screwed up, and when, when, when everything gets turned around, remember these words. Follow Me. Follow Me. Don't let that distract you. Follow Me. All we got to do is return our focal point, get our, get our bearings back, and look back to Jesus. Follow Him. And restoration comes through the cross and the life that comes after the cross. I want you to imagine this. What would our world be like? What hope would we have if there was no cross? We wouldn't. There would be no hope. There would be no redemption. And because there is no redemption, there would be no reconciliation. And because there's no reconciliation, there could never be restoration. Restoration comes through the cross. First through Jesus' cross. But just like Peter, he's called to this life that he knows is going to end in his death, his martyrdom. One day you're going to go and they're going to crucify you, Peter, because you've been called to follow me. Every person sitting in this room as a believer in Jesus Christ has been called to pick up your cross and follow him to die to yourself daily to consider to consider everything that this world has to offer loss to consider Jesus Christ gain restoration comes through the cross what cross are you carrying what cross have you been called to pick up what 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 cross are you walking with? Don't despise that cross. Don't be upset by that cross. But recognize that in that cross, in that suffering, in that trial, in that tribulation, in that, in that temptation, whatever it is, whatever that cross is, recognize that in it you are being restored. He's restoring you. So that in the end, when all things are made new, and, 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 and Jesus Christ comes on the clouds in power and is sending His angels out to gather His people, you will be brought to be with Him. He is restoring you, making you new. That in the end, you'll be with Him. Don't despise the cross. Follow Him. As you carry it. Now I told you that there's some specific applications to be applied to leaders in the church. And if you're sitting in here today and, and, and you feel led to be some leader at some level in the church, you need to recognize that this, there's a gravity to this that cannot be denied. Do you agape Jesus? Feed his sheep. Your life cannot be about yourself. Do you, agape Jesus, take care of his 
people. He has given you a job to do. And it comes with great responsibility. Don't take it lightly. Because these people that belong to Him are precious to Him. When Paul was killing them, or Saul was killing them, Jesus met him on that road to Damascus. He didn't say, why are you killing people? He said, why are you persecuting me? Because Jesus cares so much about His people that, that as they are persecuted, He is persecuted. There is heavy weight and great responsibility. Don't take it lightly. Follow Jesus. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Father, thank You for this gospel truth. 